0: This episode has some bomb music. It's the, uh, how's it go? It goes, um, do, 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 do,
1: do. Yeah, that's the one that plays. With... Do, 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 Let me do, tell you what it plays. Okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead. That's the one that plays. Do, do,
2: do, 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 do. Ho, Mike's going up. fuck. All right, see, so it plays what, <laughs> Mike. I'm clapping because it's an authentic moment. <laughs> <laughs> magnificent
1: it's another episode of foam metal analysts welcome to our show where free writers analyze each and every episode of foam metal archivist brotherhood i'm michelle i'm arthur
2: and i'm mike
1: and here we are today we have a brand new guest. Please welcome to the show voice actor, David Erigo Jr.
3: Hey! Hey! Welcome to the show! Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for coming. And we're going to start off as we always do, which is by asking our guest, how did you start watching Full Metal Alchemist?
3: Michael asked me last Wednesday if I had ever seen it and if I would be interested in being on the podcast. Aww. And so <laughs> I said, no, I haven't. And
2: then I watched it all this weekend. He watched everything. He knows everything. Yeah, so now you can enjoy the
1: beauty that is listening to Mike guess something.
2: And be correct.
3: You know, having listened to a couple of the episodes too, because like I told Mike, I like to be prepared. I like to know what I'm sort of getting myself into. In the first few episodes, he's got a couple of pretty good observations. I know, right? We we talked about
1: this. It's uncanny, actually. The best part is that he gets some stuff right, but he doesn't know he got it right. And then next episode he undoes it. So (laughs) (laughs) I, I like hearing the bets,
3: right? You guys are making bets. And I know whether or not they're going to come to pass as a listener who has now seen the entire thing. It's some good comedy, gentlemen. It is some good <laughs> comedy. <laughs> Thank you so much. It makes me chuckle.
2: Oh, yes. We should say, just so for, so everyone knows, David is a, an accomplished voiceover actor. Yes. Yes. So if it sounds yes. like we've got a lot more people here, yes, because that's I have the magic of voice He's got <laughs> mad skills. And <laughs> in another life and in the old age, I used to represent David when I was a, a representative. Back of in
1: the olden days.
2: Yeah. yeah. He was great. He's my, in fact, he was my last client. The last client. He was You're so gonna... good.
1: He was like, I got to quit.
2: I, I was like, I, I can never. Or this.
1: <laughs>
3: You've ruined all other voice actors for him. You know yes. what? I'm writing that down in my journal.
2: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> so the way we start every episode off is by doing our improvised 21 second recap. And that is when one of us, chosen at random by Roll of the Dice, will do an improvised 21-second recap of what happened in the episode.
3: I didn't know it had to be improvised. I actually I wrote up a thing, just in case <laughs> it Oh, my God. Ooh. He's That's prepared. good.
1: Let's roll the dice. No joke. Three. So, Mike, it's you oh, again. Oh,
2: crap. Oh, God, I don't remember <laughs> anything that happened. I'm, I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one. Go. Uh, So Ed confronts his father who's emotionally unavailable and he takes a letter and he pieces out. And then, um, you know, uh, Ed freaks out and he's like over here is like, oh, well, maybe the thing that they created wasn't your mother. Maybe it was just like a homunculus or something. And then meanwhile, Al is like dealing with the fact that one day his soul is going to make his body expire. And then the brothers get together and he's like, I'm going to make my body one day, buddy. It's
1: going to be great. Three seconds, three seconds above. (laughs) Is that an okay, Arthur?
2: Yeah. All right. Get that rubber, that big rubber okay stamp out. Okay.
1: But you know what?
0: I do want to hear David's too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yes. Yes. Please. I mean, he went through all the trouble
3: preparing, right? We can see if I can get it through in 21 seconds. I did this afternoon. So you guys have to let me know. All right. Let's count it down. One. Two, three, and go. Ed's father has shown up at Granny's and has a minor confrontation with him while talking to Panaco. Dad plants the idea that Ed and Al might not have brought back their mother, then pieces out. Ed digs up their creation, confirming that suspicion. Ed shares his revelation with Alan Winry. Al admits to being the soul in their creation, absolving them of their guilt. They also help each other feel better with a phone call. Death is permanent. We can feel better because we didn't hurt our loved ones twice.
2: Oh my God, way 21
0: seconds of the dot, holy wow. smokes. way better.
2: That was so good.
0: Michelle, can we can
3: we get like just a stadium's worth of applause? Yes, just like <laughs> that. In right here?
1: Right.
3: I also had one sentence in there that I thought about keeping, but I was like, no, I'm going to let it go. But it was, Wenry gets a little thirsty for Ed. Oh, she definitely oh, yeah. does. <laughs> she does. Right at yeah. the
1: end, she does. And it's so subtly planted. Shoulders it's like... a little broader.
2: I was like, wait, does he not usually have a French braid? I thought he always had a French uh-huh. braid. <laughs> it's not that he got
1: taller. It's just that he got, you know, his spirits were lifted a little higher. And so he's walking
3: with a new sense of purpose. Right, he's carrying himself as if he were broader. It's all about confidence.
1: It is about confidence in a way, but this episode is all about closing a chapter in these characters' lives and just giving them permission to move on. Mm -hmm. Very interesting how right after the episode where an immortal character dies is the episode where we get confirmation that, like, death is permanent. And this confirmation, which usually would be, like, terrifying to people, to
3: these characters, it's, like, relieving. Yeah. Oh, it's like lifting a, a dump truck off of their shoulders.
2: It lessens the consequences of the taboo in a cool way, in a good way, in a nice way for them. You know what it reminded me of? This is very specific, David. I don't know if you've
1: seen Doctor Who. I have
3: not watched any Doctor Who.
1: Basically, when they brought the show back, they gave the character this backstory where, like, in between the show going off the air and coming back, he committed this big bad thing, and because he committed this big bad thing, now he had this like guilt. Hanging over his head. And for about, I would say, maybe like 10 years of the revived series, this was like part of the canon of the show. And then on the 50th anniversary of the show, they changed it. Somebody
3: went in and retconned? They made the plot about retconning that.
1: A lot of people at the time were like, well, but that was the big thing about the character. You just took out all that guilt. And it's like, there's only so much you can take a character forward when when you have to power him is guilt. Right. That guilt has to go.
3: From a storytelling sense
1: even as humans have to let go at some point, why should characters hold on forever, you know? Right. Right.
3: As a writer, you've you've then put yourself into a corner, right? You've painted yourself into a corner with that guilt. And so if you find a way to like mission impossible, hang yourself over those other spots while they dry and then repaint that corner, then you can kind of start over again. And I think that's pretty cool about what you just presented.
1: It's not like this undoes everything we've just seen for the past 20 episodes. Like, they still committed to Boo. They still bear the marks of what they did.
3: Right, it's kind of like streamlining their mission,
1: right? Uh, we've been having conversations in previous episodes about one versus need, which is what is the Eric Brothers' need? And I wanted to hear what your opinion is before we get back to that
3: conversation. What do you think Ed and Al's need is? See, that's interesting. I think they need each other. They need to feel like they have served one another They're such a close couple of characters right their bond as brothers is so strong and and you know they're uncomfortable away from each other at times i think you see that well no even in this episode you see it on the train where he's just kind of like oh man they probably miss me yeah so i think what they need is to help each other and if it happens that they save the world in in that endeavor or they do good okay I don't think it means that they need to find their body parts. I don't think that they need, you know, get back Al's body or or Ed's arm and leg, but they need to pursue that dream. I think that that is their internal need, both of them. I
2: think that that's interesting because, you know, Al is like, people treat me like human being and I feel included and he's authentic you know like they even test his memory out like he is a human being you know what i mean but
3: interestingly in like the next breath he says but we still have to do this yeah but like he's let's, literally go. <laughs> i i don't want my body if other people have to get hurt you know people are treating me like a human but also like um i can't not sleep anymore <laughs> i need my body <laughs> i
1: need
2: my body
3: And you kind of forget that, like, Al is a younger kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine the loneliness of not being able to sleep, especially in a world that goes to sleep.
0: The cat's kind of out of the bag for me at this point, and that is that I cried a lot (laughs) while watching this episode. (laughs) Um, Al's monologue at the end was so gut-wrenching. I remember the first time I watched this and having not really thought about what it was like for Al not to sleep. And then really having the reality of that come crashing down in one moment of all the things that Al doesn't like, you know, he doesn't like not being able to feel or eat or whatever. It's right. They tend
3: to focus on the food. Right.
0: But it's the loneliness that gets him. It's the loneliness
3: of the nights by himself. That is the final straw why it's too much. And we get like this baby plant moment earlier in the episode when Winry sort of blows up in the living room, right?
2: Mm -hmm. And
3: then he follows her into the room and he's like, I don't ever get the chance to get mad. You guys do it for me. Right. And it's like, oh, wow. That's also isolating. Right. He's surrounded by all these hotheads. You're right. I didn't think about that. When we're talking about the possibility of his soul being rejected from the armor, it really does a great job of of drawing the parallel to mortality.
2: Well, you know, I'm not convinced that at some point he will be ejected from the armor. I feel like, first of all, it's not a correct, analogous, logical assumption that because Barry the Chopper's body is rejecting an animal soul, a suit of armor would reject a human soul. I don't think that that is a logical assumption to make.
3: You can follow a certain level of logic if you think, for humans, tomorrow is not guaranteed.
1: Mike, one third of the way through, do you think they're going to get their bodies back?
2: Uh, no, you know, I still kind of, I want to, I don't know. I think there's a world where they could get their bodies back, but I'm not sure what the price is yet. It's all about crossing this gate. I think I need to learn more about this, this gate. From a writer's standpoint, mm-hmm. if you had characters that were in pursuit of something
3: and it was kind of their life's purpose as right. they understand it, would you want... To keep it open-ended for the potential of more storytelling or would you want to make it finite to complete their journey and then move on to something else or what i would make it finite yeah
1: i just think that if you start off a story being like this is their one objective and you don't end that objective you don't solve it at all you don't Mm -hmm. give it a definite conclusion people are going to finish reading that story and they're going to be like i didn't like that ending Yeah, unless you're writing a sitcom, I think having an ending in mind at the beginning is very important. Unless your decision from the beginning is to not give the audience that satisfaction at the end, in which case you have to work. You you have to work really hard like the
3: show is doing right. It really can go either way.
1: Yeah, I was watching this episode and I was like, you know what? If you told me Al never gets his body back, I'm going to feel sad, but I totally see it. And
2: because everybody treats him like a human, you kind of don't mind. I wouldn't give them their bodies back. I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm just saying that giving them what they want in this case is not going to be very exciting because it's just like what you said. Because we don't really care if they get their bodies back. We care if they're human again. Yes, that's what we really care about. What we care about is that they forgive themselves, that they. And have they ever stopped? Oh, I don't in don't think so. In their heads, they have. Yeah, no, no, no. no. But
3: we,
1: we, uh, we as an audience still think they stop being human. Right, because these guys are nice. Yeah, but they <laughs> don't think so.
2: Yeah, That's right. what's important. They need to regain their sense of humanity. That's more important to me than him getting his arm back or his brother getting his body back. And Michelle's trying to take that away from them. <laughs> <laughs> take
3: that look, away from them look. so that they don't have their emotion
2: I'm and sorry. I'm, just
3: very I'm a emotional. very sad
2: <laughs> person. I'm a very sad person. I hide behind my smiles. <laughs> well, I do have a major prediction, though. I do have this major prediction. I'm done fucking around. All right. you, you hear me? I'm, yeah, okay. I'm seriously right. done.
0: Before you make this prediction, Mike, what
2: are the stakes?
1: David, as the guest, you can choose what Mike has to do if he's wrong.
3: How many bugs? A snack pack of bugs because they they sell them in like the little almost the size of like fruit
2: snacks. It doesn't even sound that. Just, it sounds palatable. Like
3: <laughs> you know, it's a nice little tasty treat,
2: but you have to eat the whole bag. Look, I came to play. <laughs> <laughs> what is your prediction, Mike? Give it. My prediction is is that Van Hohenheim is indeed father.
1: All right, let's talk about Hohenheim. Hohenheim is is harsh.
2: He's I a good calls father. Calls him a little.
1: <laughs> calls
0: him. Oh, <laughs> that's
2: how a father should oh. be.
0: <laughs> no, remind me to
3: take your kids away from you. He asks at the beginning, "Why did you burn my house?" You that is such a killer that. opening line. Yeah, and Ed is like, "Well, we wanted no excuse to come back," and like, it's almost like Hohenheim just goes. Psh. You're, bitch, please. Yeah. You thought you could hide the sheets after you wet the bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, that line was killer.
2: I think that he's right. I think the reason that cuts so deep is it's absolutely true. It's like they, are, you know, you ever do something stupid and go like, I did it because I felt the need to blah blah blah, but you know, kind of in your heart, the reason you just defied, you, you, you just bit, like, it. you babied out. It, <laughs> you was, know, yeah. <laughs> it was
0: their shame. It wasn't some grand symbol.
3: But here, they they literally dig up their shame, Edward can use his alchemy to shift the earth right yes hmm. so did you feel <laughs> did you feel at all manipulated by the storytelling of him <laughs> using a shovel out in the rain instead of him just shoop? Only
1: just now. (laughs) Good point. It's because it's dramatic, right? That's why he did
2: it. No, because he had to work for it. It emotionally made sense to watch him suffer as he dug up his mother's grave.
0: (laughs) Right. Throw up a bunch. We had to watch him throw up.
3: Going back to the writing side of it, how do you guys justify those moments?
2: You make it emotionally true to the character. Yeah, that's exactly it. If it feels emotionally true,
0: we are willing to overlook it. Even if it's not totally logically true, although you could say that alchemy is what got them into this mess, and he wants to do something without alchemy mm-hmm. in terms of undoing this mistake, right? Or he
2: didn't want to break the body, the bones up and stuff,
0: you know. There you we, go. There's that. The real answer is it just felt better. It feels better and more dramatic, and he should be suffering as he
2: digs up this mistake. All right, it's a great scene. I'll buy it. Second on Van Hohenheim, Pinako says you don't look changed at all, right? He looks the same age. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So then I started thinking, well, if he's father, we know that these homunculus are or homunculi are at least like 200 and some years old. And father is a young man. And you know what I mean? Where he looks very similar to Van Hohenheim or has the same haircut or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? That's stupid. This is proof. This is proof that he is an unaging person who's clearly taking, I, I think I mentioned earlier, in a text to you guys, I was like, he's he's clearly taking a... Uh, Philosopher's Revol- Stone? Yeah, by Olay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Rejuvenating cream. David, I have a question to ask you. Um, how do you act throwing
3: up? You just think about those moments where you... Um, where you started to... Feel um, queasy or
2: something. And then it's just... Oh. it's It's really just oh. sort
3: of like a squinching of your cords, and a lot <laughs> yeah. of times you're like pushing your tongue out too to it just changes the chamber that felt very liquid yeah it felt very yeah,
2: yeah it's good did you watch the sub or the dub david ah what do you think I watched? Well, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you watched the dub,
3: yeah. Yeah, I absolutely did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> the dub is better. Because I. It, for me, it's also a way to study. That's, that's how I can justify spending <laughs> 64 episodes in like three days.
1: <laughs> if you want to talk about performances, I mean, the performance of whoever's dubbing Honenheim in this episode is wonderful, to say the least.
3: So you did make the switch and you stuck with it, huh? Yes, I
1: stuck with it. I'm still watching the dub. I'm a dub guy. I'm a dub guy. Duh. <laughs> okay.
3: Put the music in. <laughs> Interesting story before we really launch into it, though. Um, I was recording an anime last week. Sorry, I can't tell you what. And I was talking to the engineer, and his pal was the recording engineer for these. And Ooh. yeah, for Al, the sort of metal like that you can hear mm-hmm. after he speaks, that's not a post effect. They took time and they set up a metal bowl near the mic. That would resonate so that they could get that effect and i thought that that was so cool that's um, awesome it's it sort of wow. like a throwback wow. to practical creature effects right i love
2: that low tech stuff that's so cool you know you probably run into fred Tatisher before oh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yes yeah. <laughs> he had like this thing where he whenever he had to do darth vader he would lift up a trash can and speak into the trash can
3: <laughs> <laughs> honestly makes sense it works i think there's a lot of really good voice work in the show
1: oh absolutely
3: yeah yeah it's it's great down to the efforts you know the storytelling that they do the nuance i mean sometimes you know when you're listening to an anime and i think this is a lot less common than it used to be you know it sort of sounds like it's all just too much yeah yeah (laughs) You know the way that they did it. It's sort of just like oh, I don't know. I think we should probably go outside and take care of this now. It's a different sort of skill, right? And like the the people who, you know, Von Hohenheim, he he does sit with a, a bigger instrument, right? Yeah. Anytime I'm trying to do something deep, it's always just a little silly. Yeah, um, same. But <laughs> the, the work that they did in this show, I really do think is is quite solid and believe it or not, I wound up watching the live action movie, too, because I was curious. I was like, "Eh, let me get a little more context for this universe. And I'm probably going to go back and watch the other series, too, Mm because I get fixated on things. But hearing Ed's voice, we won't mention anything, coming out of a live action body as well was a neat thing to see as a voice actor knowing that it was the same actor. Hearing that and understanding the sort of nuance that has to come with Sticking that voice onto a live action person versus throwing it onto that animated character. There really is some nice finesse happening in there.
0: That's really interesting.
1: This is what I mentioned. John Swayze is the name of the, is the name of the actor who does Honenheim. Mm. And really I can't imagine it's easy because you have to basically come in and with five lines, you have to convince us that this character, Ed, who we've seen for 20 episodes be the most hot headed combative person in the world would just instantly shut up hohenheim calls him short and ed doesn't yell
3: back right it's not one of those
2: how dare you call me short (laughs) hohenheim's got that presence yeah it's the hair really
3: hashtag things i'll never be asked to do
2: (laughs) he's got the hair you never know you know it's the voice and hair
0: (laughs) i like i like when he did that it was like he just destroyed Ed and was like, You're like a little boy who wet the bed and uh and Ed storms off and is sad and mad. And he's like, haha just like I was. <laughs> right.
2: Back when he was a, a tiny little lad in Xerxes growing up in Xerxes, I predicting it right now. Putting it in
1: Wait, do you want to predict stuff, Mike? I mean
0: I, I, mean, what I, I wanna you know, do the, that. Just Hold on, I, I have one more I do have one more question for David actually. Yeah. So you've obviously done dub work on anime before. Mm -hmm. the animation is already done obviously whereas if they're recording first and then animating to
3: the voices it's different Mm -hmm. so i was wondering Mm -hmm. if you could speak
0: to what the process is like with that difference
3: oh man i gotta tell you um especially right now dubbing is infinitely harder than prelay prelay animation is you know All all the things that we've all seen about Aladdin with Robin Williams and, you know, oh, he did all this and then they animated to it and it was great. And obviously it's an iconic performance Uh with dubbing. I respect the hell out of people who are really good at dubbing. Honestly, there is a level of craft and skill that is legitimately remarkable. The, The people who can blaze through a dubbing session and do it well, acting with intention while matching someone else's flaps and also technically trying to merge with their emotional intention that they've already animated, it's like juggling with a lot of balls. (laughs) And especially right now, I mean, at home, you've got to set up all sorts of more tech uh in in order to accomplish the dubbing because you have to be able to see the picture you have to be able to hear the studio you have to be able to record high quality audio send that off you've got to be on source connect so that they can record too so that they can make sure that everything's uh lining up in their pro tools it is insanely uh more challenging it's not impossible
2: do you receive a a script that's been dubbed obviously translated or or how much freedom do you have to to move it around and stuff when you record
3: we get pretty specific scripts they have been notated even with things like cm react would be a closed mouth react like or whatever or gasp (gasps) you know open mouth react uh all that (laughs) stuff is
2: that's a great one that's
3: my favorite it's in the script and so you're also trying to do that and then there are slashes there are ticks and things like that that tell you you should take a breath here you have to have a pause here you have to and so it's almost like you've got a treasure map and there's a spotter who has already done that with time code and everything and they've checked it and theoretically what they have written in their translation ought to work you get varying levels of expertise in that and sometimes when you're in the booth you really have to do A sizable amount of rewrites But for the most part What I'm seeing out here in LA in particular Is that it's pretty well spotted And and there's a lot of talent on that side of things Mike, do you want to predict stuff? I I sure sure do (laughs) That means it's time for
1: everyone's favorite segment Mikey at the Bat Woo! All right, this is the moment in the podcast where Mike has to guess what happens in the next episode using only the episode title and the thumbnail.
2: Send me that thumbnail. King Bradley, the Bradster, he's all the way buttoned up. He doesn't look charming at all. He looks, I want to say, cross. He looks upset. His arms are spread out. He looks like he's commanding a ship or something, like he's about to give an order or something like that. That's my description.
1: All right, and the name of the episode is Advance of the Fool. hmm
2: I think Advance of the Fool will be about Van Hohenheim advancing. No, that's not right. You s- So you think Hohenheim is the fool? Yeah, it doesn't sound right at all. It doesn't feel right. So I'm just going to go wild and say Scar is going to come back and Scar is going to go to Central and there's going to be some kind of shakeup. Oh, God, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't well, know. Well, that's a guess right there.
1: Scar's going to come to Central. There's going to be some kind of shakeup.
2: Okay, that's my prediction, yeah.
1: So now let's grade the episode and give it a score between one and five stars. I'm going to get started by giving it a four. I thought this was a really good episode. I did think the first half was stronger and more effective than the second half, but the second half was still really good. So that's why I'm going to give it a four.
0: I'm going to give it a four and a half. Mm. Not because this episode is that great. As a whole composed episode, I think there's definitely better examples of that in the series. But it has some of my favorite moments. And for that reason, four and a half. I
2: really love things that make Arthur cry. <laughs> I was about to add <laughs> it. A... No, it's I think, true. I think it's going to be a four. I'm right there with you guys. It, it was a great episode. You know, I I came into this thinking that I was going to give
3: it a three because I was going to avoid the um, decimal system like I I heard that Mike likes to try to do in the early episodes.
2: That's correct.
3: But after our conversations and after interacting with it on this sort of next level, I'm going to give it a four. All right. I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to round up. And now it's time
0: for... What did we learn? This week's lesson comes from Winry, who we now know is starting to feel an attraction to Ed because his shoulders are broad. The lesson is... If you can't get taller, get wider. Thank you.
2: Good lesson.
1: Good
0: Worth the weight.
2: Yeah, there's a width joke there.
1: I'm going to stop you right there. And if you want to be broad too, then don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FM Analysts. That's FM Analysts on Twitter. I want to thank Sarah Lerner for managing our Tumblr. If you want to check that out, please visit fullmetal-analysts.tumblr.com. Subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. we love to read those. I want to thank David, our guests, for coming. Thank you so much for being here with us. Where can people find you online?
3: I am at Arigo Voice, E-R-R-I-G-O, Voice, V-O-I-C-E, on uh, both Twitter and Instagram. I try to be as interactive as possible, but just be nice if you come around. To don't come to my house and be mean. That's all I ask. And of course, we're doing this new
1: thing with our guests. Before you go, could you please give us your best Full Metal Alchemist Interstitial.
2: <laughs>
3: oh, gosh. Who's my picture?
2: You get Colonel Armstrong lifting up both kids. Okay. <laughs> <what I'm> <laughs> Full Metal Alchemist. Perfect. <laughs> <That's>
3: <laughs> uncanny. I think there's point. just a
2: big smile to that, right? Super uncanny.
1: <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much, David. That'll be all for now. We'll see you next time on Full Metal Analyst. Stay frosty, everyone.